0: of his cross. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. You all may be seated. It's good to
1: gather again in God's house with God's people. As Jared just read, we will only look at verses 15 through 20 uh, this morning. So 15 through 20 this morning. Just one quick announcement. I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's holy word this morning. Uh, next Sunday at 9 o'clock, we uh, resume back our Sunday school uh, hour. So if you would like to be part of Sunday school, we start back next week at 9 o'clock. So mark your calendars. Start back uh, in person. No, no Sunday school will be online. Our hope is to uh, weed you off of um, the drug of choice of being online. i, I just say it that way is to get you back in the building with God's people. Uh, That is for extenuating circumstances only. That is not because you want uh, coffee in your PJs uh, to listen to God's word. You have six other days to do that online. But come back, gather together in God's house with God's people. So next Sunday, 9 o'clock, we'll resume Sunday school. If you have any questions about that, you can see me after uh, service this morning. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into God's holy word as we continue our series, The Supremacy of Christ, in the in the letter uh, to the Colossians. God, I'm grateful to gather in your house this morning with your people. I'm also uh, thankful to be able to have people uh, stream online, but God, we know that you've called us to gather, and so uh, I pray that you continue to, to bring and to convict and to challenge your people to come back. Uh, to your house and not because we need numbers not because we need dollars uh, just because we simply need the fellowship of believers to gather Uh, that that's what you tell us and so we i pray that you would allow us to be obedient in that sense lead us this morning as we look at this passage of scripture how your son jesus is supreme over all things and that stirs our hearts and that ought to stir our hearts to live lives that would be holy and sacrificial not to you and to you alone. So lead us this morning and guide us. I pray this in Christ's mighty name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Just to recap where we've been, uh, and this this passage of Scripture sets us up for the the rest of the letter. From this moment on, Paul is going to continue to point us and the Colossians uh, back to the supremacy of Christ. What we've been talking about, this small church in Colossae had begun to believe and hear false teaching. That false teaching was this, that you had to have Christ plus something else. That Christ wasn't sufficient for all things. That Christ wasn't sufficient in him and him alone for salvation. That Christ wasn't sufficient for our walk with him. That we needed to have Christ and some other things to really bring about the fullness of our salvation. If we're not careful, church, I think if we're really honest with ourselves, we could believe that too this morning. That we don't truly delight in God and God alone. We don't truly delight in Christ in Christ alone. And so Paul is going to use this portion of Scripture to stir our hearts, to move us in adoration or worship back to God. This is a continuation from Verse 9, verse 9 all the way to verse 20 is one continual thought or one continual sentence as Paul is in prison writing this letter. He doesn't take a breath, so to speak. There's something that's going on in the heart of Paul that he just can't get out fast enough and on paper fast enough. What we'll see here though is that Paul in verses 13 and 14, something shifts in Paul's heart. So Paul is writing this letter. He, remember, we're in the middle of this prayer for the Colossians, or in the middle of a prayer for us. But he gets to the to verses 13 and 14, and he says this. He's reminding himself, he's reminding the, the readers of this letters of where they were and what God had done for them. It says this, He delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So what Paul is saying here in this part of the letter is let's remember what God has done for you. Let's remember that God removed you from darkness into light or moved you from the dominion of Satan into the kingdom of God. And then there's this shift that happens. He like breaks out into this song, if you will, because these next verses are a hymn. Hymns were meant to be sung as an adoration or a reflection back to what God has done for us. So Paul in his writing is writing about the salvation that God and God alone could do. And then he worships God. My hope for us is that this morning we wouldn't just hear this letter. We wouldn't just receive this letter. But that we would hear it and receive it and then worship God because of what's in the content of this letter. If this book does not move us to adoration, if this book doesn't move us to declaration, and this book does not move us to worship God, then it's just another book on the shelf. But this book that God has given us, all 66 letters or books were given to us by God to reveal himself to us so that it would move us to worship God. So that's my prayer for us this morning. And now I want to look at this hymn. What is Paul so excited about? What is Paul singing about? And what ought we sing about this morning? It is this, that Christ is preeminent, preeminent over all things. What that word means is that he is supreme over all things. That is in Christ, in Christ alone. And so we'll look at what Paul says in two places. He says that Christ is supreme over all of creation. That's in verses 15 through 17. But then he comes home and, and begins to worship God because Christ is preeminent or supreme over his body, the church. And what that ought to do for us is what Paul says. So let's look at first, how is Christ preeminent over creation? I would ask you, do you believe that at this morning? Is Christ in your life, is it true for you, You believe that he is preeminent or supreme even over creation. Every bird that flaps its wing, every mosquito that bites you, even the skunk that came in here, is he supreme over all things? I just got to acknowledge the smell. I mean, everyone's thinking it. I'll just say it out loud. Somewhere there was a critter. He did his thing and went on with himself. So I'll just say Christ was even supreme over that critter that came in here sometime this week. So is Christ preeminent over his creation? Paul's going to say that he is, but now he's going to say to us why he is. Why is Christ, or how is Christ, preeminent over his creation? It says this in the very first four words. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation is what verse 15 says. The first thing that we know is this. Christ is preeminent over creation because he is the image of God. Now, what that word image means is this. It's not just looking at a reflection in the mirror. Or or so to speak, if little Cedar came up here, there'd be a likeness to me. It's not very uh, like a mystery to you who Cedar belongs to, right? Like you're like, oh, that's Todd's boy. Right? That's not what Paul is saying. It's not like we look at Jesus and we're like, oh, that's God's boy. Like there's some likeness to him. There's some similarities to him. That's not the word that Paul is using here. What Paul is saying, it's the very likeness of Christ is God. What Paul is saying, he is God. Not that he's like God, but he is God. It's his DNA. Like everything about Christ, we can see now who God is. It's the exact Representation of God. Not just in his likeness or his looks, but his quality, his character, his power, his dominion. Everything that God has, Paul says Christ is the same. Paul, I believe, is borrowing. We, we call it that as pastors. It's really stealing. Borrowing what John said in John chapter 1. I'll read what John said when he saw Jesus himself. Paul writes in, his, or John writes in his epistle, he, or his apostle, his book, he says this, John chapter 1, this is verses 1, 14 and 18, he says, in, in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus, logos, the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who in the bosom of the Father, he explained in him what John is saying. He not only is the word of God, but he is God. Jesus himself says this about himself in John chapter 14, verse 9. Whoever has seen me has what? Seen the Father. So Paul is saying to us, he is the exact representation of God. That is why he's able to be supreme over creation. Not, Not just have dominion over creation. We have dominion over creation. We know that in Genesis Chapter 1, like God created us in his own image and gave us dominion. Though though we are like God in that sense, we don't have all the attributes of God because of the fall. But Christ is equally God. It's what Paul, or I say it's Paul, it's the the writer of Hebrews. We really don't know who the writer of Hebrews is. I believe it's Paul. But the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about the imprint, what what Paul or the writer of Hebrews is saying. It it was like a piece of wax that would be melted and you take a a ring and you press the ring into the wax. And it would be the exact representation of that ring, the seal, if you will. That's what Paul is saying. He is supreme over creation because why? He is the image of the invisible God. You see, if you and I lived at the time of Christ and anyone would have said to you, have you ever seen God? The apostles would have answered, what? Yes. Yes, because they saw Christ. Peter could say, Paul could say he saw God because he saw Christ. Remember, Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw God with his own eyes. You and I don't have that luxury. But we do have the luxury of reading God's word, and God's word is an exact representation of himself. These are not words of man. These are the words of God himself. He revealed himself himself. To us. So the first way that we know He's supreme or preeminent over creation is He is God. The second is this it's found in verses 15b through 16. It says this the firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through Him. And what? For him. Two, way, two other things that we see. We know that Christ is preeminent over creation because he created it. It's his. If I go and make something and I create it, it belongs to who? Me or you? Me, the creator. So we know that Christ is supreme over his creation because he Remember what it says in Genesis chapter 1. That God used Christ's words to bring about creation. And so it's His, He created. It took place in Christ. Not only did it take place in Christ, like His mind, but it was the agent about which it came. See, I can create something in my mind. All of us have done that before. But what happens in the mind doesn't get put into the world until it comes through the hands. I mean, I've got the most creative mind, but I don't have the most skilled hands. But what Christ and Paul is saying, he's got the creative mind, but he's got the skillful hands to bring it about. So he not only thought of it, but he put it into existence. It was through him that creation has come about. Not only is it by Him and through Him, but what does Paul say at the last chunk of verse 16? It's for Him. Like, I think we come into this world and we think, man, look at this world. Look at all the things that are for me. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible never says that God created the world for us. No, God created created through Christ Jesus, the world for Christ Jesus, that in Christ Jesus, like all of this would bring him glory. We're part of that creation. We're the, the, we're the climax of the creation. But we are to give glory to God as much as the flower and the trees and the birds. Now we have a uniqueness about ourselves. We actually get to be in relationship with God. But this world is not for us. Primarily. It's for Christ. That's what Paul says. For by him are all things created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He created it and it's for him. The last thing that we see is this. Christ is preeminent over creation. How? In verse 17, as it says, and he is before all things, and in him all things are what? Held together. Well, Paul is saying this. Not only did he create it, not only is it from him, but without Christ sustaining it, it would all fall to pieces. Like to the very smallest of molecules in atom. I'm not a scientist, but in doing study this week, I was reading about the atom, the the uniqueness about that, and how it's held together. Do you know, at any moment, if if Christ just snapped his finger and the atom fell apart, you know what would happen to us? We would implode and explode. The entire universe would go. To obliterate, it would be obliterated because of one small atom if Jesus didn't sustain it at this very moment. And here's what's going to happen one day, he won't hold it any longer. It tells us in the Word of God, he's going to wipe it all out to bring about, and we'll see this in a moment, a new creation. He is supreme over all things. Because he sustained it. There's only one reason you're here in this pew this morning. It's not because you ate well and exercised and took care of your body. It's because Jesus Christ himself is sustaining you. And there will be a moment that he'll call you to himself if you're a believer. And you can resist death all you want. The moment He does not sustain your life any moment on this planet is when you're called to Him. That's how come Christ can be supreme over all things. Because He holds it in His hands. And this is what Paul is getting at. This is bringing about this adoration, this, this worship in Paul. Like Paul's understanding, hey, without Christ being supreme over all creation, We're doomed. And so it's leading him to worship the God of the universe that is sustaining him even in the moment that he's in chains in prison. That's why he's going to be able to say in verse 24, what he says in verse 24, he says this, and I rejoice in what my suffering, because he knows his suffering is because Christ is sustaining him. He's rejoicing in his suffering. Because of who Christ is, not because of who Paul is. And so I ask you this question this morning. Do you believe that it is Christ who is sustaining you? Even your salvation. Which means I don't have to work for my salvation. I don't have to do anything for my salvation because Christ is the one Who is sustaining it. That ought to lead us in adoration. and worship. If you're a believer. And ought to give us a relaxation. Like man I don't have to do anything. Because Christ is doing it for me. In this very moment. Sustaining my salvation. How is he doing that? It, It says this. That he went before the father. And pled on our behalf. And became the propitiation for our sin. Taking on the wrath of God onto himself so that he could sustain our salvation. He is supreme over all creation. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, not only is he over all of creation, not only is he holding all things together, but then he says this, he's also preeminent or supreme over his church. Let me read the passage, verses 18 all the way to 20. And he said, Paul said, And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. The beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything that he might be proeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. We see a few things in this passage. The first that is, he is preeminent over his church, meaning he is this, what it says, Paul says this, he is the head of the church. Like he is able to say that he is supreme over the church because he's the head of the church. Now the head of the church doesn't simply mean a, a CEO. That's not what that word means. If you cut off someone's head, what happens to the body? It dies. So what Paul is saying, our life, the, our blood, everything that happens to make the church the church is because Christ is the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. Y'all ought to praise God for that. I'm just a member just like every one of you. I just have a different role in the church. But I'm not the head of the church. Christ is able to say, I am the head of the church. I have supreme dominion over the church. Then he says, this is how come I'm the head of the church. How is it that Christ is head of the church? Well, verse 18b, it says it in the beginning. Christ is the one who started the church. It wasn't the apostles, a great idea in Acts chapter two, three, and four to start the church. It was God, through Christ, to start the gathering of believers for his glory to bring about salvation of many people. It's Christ's idea for the church. It's not man's idea. So Christ is able to say, hey, I'm the head of the church, so so I have a superiority over the church. It's mine. I came up with the idea, and I sustained the idea. He started it. He's the head of it. Without him, without Christ, there is no church. If God ever removed Christ from us, we would not be a church. We'd just be a a, a gathering of bones. But it's Christ who speaks into us and brings us life. Do we believe that Chaplain? That ought to stir us to worship him. That we gather on a Sunday, not because it's something we are supposed to do, but it's because we come together to be with God's people, to hear from God's word, so that we might live, so that Christ could really talk to us through his words, not through me. This is what gives us life. This is the head of the church. It's Christ himself, the word of God. So he is supreme over his church. But then Paul says this. So he's supreme over creation. He's supreme over the body, the church. But it doesn't stop there. Christ says, A Paul says Christ is preeminent or has superiority over what? Death. Verses 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was what? Pleased to dwell. Again, it. Paul's pointing us aback that in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells. And he says, because in him, all the fullness of God dwells, this is what he's doing. It is through him to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making what peace by the blood of his cross. The first thing that we see is that He is preeminent over death. In creation. Remember what happened at the fall. It happened at the fall. Death entered the picture. Not just for us. But for all of creation. It wasn't supposed to be this way. In Genesis chapter 1. Decay and death was never meant to happen. It was because sin entered the picture. And where sin enters the picture. Death always happens. And what Christ is saying, what Paul is saying about Christ is that Christ is going to come and he is going to redeem all things or make all things new because he is preeminent or supreme even over creation that one day those trees that we see will die no longer. We see that in Revelation. It says this in Revelation 19. He will make all things what new and he will therefore sustain what he has made new. There will be a point in time in history that death, no longer reigns. Why? Because Christ is supre- has supremacy over death. That's why there's no death in heaven, because Christ is there sustaining it to make sure it does not happen because of what He did. It says what he did happened on the cross. So not only the blood of Christ saves us and gives us wholeness, but it gives us trees, it gives these flowers. Like one day, these flowers will never die. One day. That's because of what Christ has done. Because of his power, the fullness of God dwells in Christ. But not only that, thank God he has preeminent, supreme power over Creation, but he has it over us as sinners. That's what it says. Through him, he's going to reconcile all things, not just creation, but us back to himself. See, without Christ, there is no reconciliation for us. He's able to have that because he is God, a perfect spotless lamb had to be sacrificed on our behalf. So God had to become man to dwell with us, to take on the wrath of God so that we would be reconciled back to God. There is nothing, what Paul is saying here, there is nothing that you and I can do to be reconciled to God on our own. Nothing. Nothing. And what Paul is doing as he's in prison, with change on, he is worshiping God, being reminded of what the cross did for him. And he's already pleaded with the Colossians, be remembering what the cross has done for you. He says it again here. It's because of the blood of Christ that gives us peace and reconciles us to God. So Christ, through his blood, has power, over death, but over sin. And that that blood and that power reconciles us or brings us back into relationship with God. And Paul is in prison worshiping God. And so my question to you, my question to me this morning is this. Is Christ preeminent over your life? All of it. Your pocketbook your relationship, your house, your job. Because he's supreme over all those things. That's what Paul is pleading with the Colossians about. Here's what Charles Simeon, one of the great preachers in England said this, which is so true about our life, all of it, not some of it, not parts of it, not the ones that we want to give to him, but all of it. He says this Jesus must have it. He will have it, and he shall have it. Paul later on says this There will be a moment that every knee shall bow and give glory to God. Whether you're a sinner, redeemed by grace, you will worship God. And so what Charles Simeon is saying here, do it now. Give your life to him now, all of it, because he must have it. He will have it. He shall have it. Let us today freely give it to him the same way he freely gave us his Life on the cross. Is Christ supreme in all areas of your life this
0: morning? Let us pray.
1: I just want to take a few moments for you to ponder that question. Is Christ preeminent over all of your life? And if he is not, this is a moment of confession. Repentance for you and for me. God, I pray that this morning through your word, through what Paul wrote 2,000 years ago, that we would come to believe and trust that Christ, you are preeminent over all things. Creation, the church, and death. God, I pray if there's one that does not know you as the supreme being, the author and perfecter, our lives and our faith, that this morning would be the moment they would surrender to you and acknowledge that you are supreme over all things, their life included. Continue to lead us and guide us. Move us the way you moved the Apostle Paul to a place of adoration, declaration, exhortation, worship. Because you, God, Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit have done and stirred in our heart to see and to respond to you in a place of worship. I pray that would be true for us this morning. Please rise for the benediction this morning. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be with you today.